0: everyone. This is uh, Pastor Adam. Glad to be um, talking to you with another one of our Midweek Deep Dives. First off, I want to apologize for uh, not having one last week. And also, if you look lately, the podcast feed is looking kind of empty. That's because we've we've had a couple tough recording weeks at the church, and so we're getting that repaired. Uh, so I apologize for that. But uh, you can always... Um, well, come to church 1030 on Sunday and uh, have a chance to hear it live anyway, but did want to talk a little bit today about our upcoming last couple chapters of Esther. And uh, We're going to go through chapters eight through 10, and that'll end our uh, reading of the book of Esther here this month. Now, one of the things that can get really complicated as we start talking about, um, these final uh, three chapters is that we get to this really, um, really the best word to describe it is violent uh, way to end the book. What happens is is um, King Xerxes says he can't undo the decree that he has done. Um, And so he and Esther and Mordecai hatch up a plan. And that plan is to allow the Jewish people to defend themselves against uh, all the folks who would be attacking them from the original decree that we remember at the beginning of of the book. And that's what happens. Uh, The Jewish people will uh, fight and will destroy all of Haman's family, will destroy everybody who had considered attacking, uh, and uh, apparently everything's good at the end. Um, Now, we read that, and to be honest with you in the Old Testament, that's one of the more mild stories. Of violence and um just of, of of terrible situations, there's certainly some that are far worse uh even if you look at Joshua, for instance, where you know the writer is saying. That God is basically saying, destroy everybody in front of you, leave no trace. It's the ban. Um, for those of you who have studied that, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a complete and total destruction and annihilation of everybody and everything, complete desolation in order to be en- able to enter into the promised land. We read some of these passages, and then I think the end of Esther is another example, and and it feels very complicated. I mean, certainly even if we go back to the to the first week and we talked about Queen Vashti and the complications of having to understand why did Vashti get deposed just simply for not dancing. And I think one of the conversations that is worth having is to talk about uh, how we even read scripture in general. Um, to get uh, the definition out of the way, I think the first thing I want to talk about is literalism. And this is something that uh, I think probably the last century, 150 years, has been one of the primary ways that we read scripture. You know, if we Google the word literalism, what we see is that it's the interpretation of words in their usual or most basic sense. So what it would mean is taking a look at um, scripture. And saying, for instance, in Genesis, we see that there is a literal seven days to creation. And so if I take a literalist perspective, that means I would say that the universe had to be created within seven 24 hour days. Again, that has been a prevalent way of looking at scripture, I would say, for the last um, couple hundred years where it gets complicated is when we start to see stories like this. You know, we can even deal, I think, sometimes with saying, yeah, we weren't there at the beginning of the world. So if it was created in seven days, that's great. And maybe the scientific evidence isn't isn't correct um, and we can handle that. But when we start to see a God who supposedly uh, is a loving God end up destroying, you know, encouraging um, the people who follow uh, God to basically annihilate a group of people, well, that, that begins to get a little bit more complicated. And so what do we do with that? Well, one way that we can do it is is um just ignore it altogether. We can say, hey, you know what? Um I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm going to focus on the things that I can understand and the things that I can agree with. And you know what? There's holes there and that's fine. That's that's one way we can do it. The other way that we can do it is we can just give it up altogether. What I think, though, is there's something in the middle. And part of it is recognizing that the way that we read some of these texts is not necessarily the way that they're meant to be read. I think so often we look at scripture as one of two things. Either we look at it as a rule book, uh, a list of things and people and, you know, and, and opportunities that that went right or wrong. And our, our job is to list out what, um, what we know and we don't know and all that. Or we look at it like an instruction manual that we say, okay, well, in order to live this Jesus life, I have to do X, Y, and Z. don't very often sit and read instruction manuals or rule books uh, to help me understand how my life is supposed to be. At best, it's to be able to construct an object or um, to perform a task, not to live my life. Um, and so what happens is we read it through these very particular modern eyes. And as a result, um things begin to fall apart. If we look at it, that you have to do X, Y, and Z. It won't make sense um, because it's not meant to be read like that. So we struggle when we get to text like this because we don't have the tools to process. If you were reading uh, an instruction manual and some, and all of a sudden it says, uh, let's say you're, you're building uh an ikea bookshelf and suddenly throughout the the uh the instruction manual what it requests is that you pick up your uh half-built ikea bookshelf and throw it up against the wall and the frustration that you no doubt feel at that moment i think most of us would say well that's not um it doesn't seem like the ideal approach i'm i'm something else has got to be going on here. So there are questions that I I like to ask along the way when we have to start thinking about, well, where will literalism fail us at times? And so in the case of this Esther uh, passage, I think one of the things that I would want to ask is, well, what's at stake here? What are the issues that um, this brings up for us? Is it something that would, if I can't entirely understand it, make or break my entire sense of faith? Now, I think you can make a few arguments here. At one level, I can read that text and I can say, well, you know, God basically around the way, because, you know, in Esther, there is it a direct mention of God, but you can sort of start to ask the questions of, well, why is this okay? Um, at what point is this kind of violence encouraged by by the text? Um so there is something at stake here a little bit, but I will tell you, and again, everybody's different with this. I, th- I think I, I think it goes without saying that that each of us have um, different places where we've got to get on and off this highway of deconstruction uh, as we understand who we are as beloved children of God. For me, I would look at that and say, well, yeah, it, it, it makes me struggle a little bit about understanding the nature of God. Uh, but it, what it does tell me is certainly something about the nature of humanity. Uh, certainly something about um who we are so i'd want to hold that in the back of my mind to say yeah i wonder if it's if it's not really helping me understand the nature of god what is it telling me about um the people's response to who they are um so again the first thing i would say is 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 what's at stake the second thing is is to think about what's reasonable based on what we know now that requires a little bit of digging, right? Um if you've got a good study Bible, oftentimes um these study Bibles will have good introductions, will have good commentary that can help you start to understand more about the details of the book as it was intended when it was first written. Um it is far too easy with our modern lenses the the thing the way that we look at it is to presume that everything makes sense in the way that we understand um the way we look at the text today, like we would look at it with any other history book. Well, history has not been written the way that we understand it now for very long. We're not talking more than a couple centuries, a few centuries, that history as this sort of object of date and 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 fact has been created. And part of that is is honestly, I think, a little bit of arrogance on, on our part to say, well, we are far more enlightened than what those people were uh, millennia ago. I think if you can sort of remove yourself from that position of arrogance and look at the text for what it is, you see that there's beauty and brilliance and um, intelligence that even our modernist, uh, highly tech- technological society can't always get a hold of and grasp. We can look at it for what it is. Um and so I think sometimes those, those modern gazes, and again, I, whenever I talk about modernism and the failures of modernism as we understand scripture and who we are as, as, as Christians, I don't want to discount the fact that modernism has given us a lot. I like my cell phone. I like the fact that I can uh, speak into a microphone and it can be recorded on my laptop and sent out across the world as a podcast, and we can have a conversation. I don't want to ignore that. But Those gifts of technology, of science, um, should not come at the expense of the type of things that are deeper and more meaningful um, than just sometimes what we can process out by the objective uh, reality. I can weigh my children. I can tell you their age, but it won't tell you, um, what does it mean to love them? And what does it mean to be loved back in return? Uh, The same thing with any of my friends. Um, you know, what is reasonable based on what we know with Esther is that we can see that Esther is a book that was written right at the end, likely right at the end of the, um, of the diaspora as, as people were returning to the promised land. And if you think about what it would have meant for a group of people to be have, to have been torn away from their home, to have lived in a foreign land for a while, and then finally being able to come back, you may need to be able to tell, uh, tell some stories again. You may need to be able to explain what is going on in this world. And so Robert, I, Atler, who um, recently, within the last year or so, released what I think is a magnificent translation of of the uh, Old Testament. In his introduction to Esther, you know, he he talks about that. Yes, part of it is um, to be able to help us understand what, what Purim is. But he says, and I quote this, but even apart from the holiday as a story, it was meant for its early audiences as it would continue to be both highly amusing and gratifying, at once a vivid satire and a tale of national triumph that offered to diaspora Jews a pleasing vision of safety from imagined enemies and a grand entree to the corridors of power. Now, Let's say for a moment that this story, this violence might not have occurred the way that it is written here in the text. Let's say that this is a grand story for people who are returning to their homes, who are still littered about in the exile that don't get to go home. Um, What if this story was one to say, keep your head up, folks? Uh, The God that you might not hear very loudly is still powerful. And the people around you can still do good work. Now, does that mean that at times we can't maybe also say, well, what is reasonable could be a literal view of this text? Well, sure, we can. Um, But that's part of when we talk about as Presbyterians that we're reformed and always reforming. It doesn't just need to be in our polity and our rules, and it doesn't just need to be um, in the way that we view the church. In fact, it can be about all sorts of different things, including... And hopefully the way that we view scripture. Now, there's one more thing I, I want to mention here. And it's this issue of inerrancy. And, and to define inerrancy, it's this perspective that because uh, scripture is God breathed and um, you know ordained by God, there can't be anything in it that is wrong. Um, and again, this is also tends to be a, a modernist perspective within the last couple hundred years. What I think is important about when you start asking questions about inerrancy, again, what does it mean to be inerrant? What does it mean to be wrong in the first place? If we are looking at something in the way that it was to be intended to be read, a grand story that could be amusing and gratifying to help a group of people that have been uh, torn from their homeland to feel powerful again, um, what would that mean for us um, to say that that's wrong? Uh, that That we can that we can maybe explore the idea that the book of esther didn 't exist literally in history, but it exists for a group of people to understand who they are. What is wrong about that? Uh, we tell stories to remind ourselves who we are all the time. Uh, story is important to every single person. you tell stories, you know stories, you live in stories, and in that that God can work through and in whatever. Our understanding of who God is, how God loves us, how God loves this world, and how God understands justice can still work through this. Does it mean that we have to presume that it happened in the exact way, and the exact time that happened in this book? Well, no, we don't. But what we can do is think critically about what does it mean for us to take Esther at its word and to try to understand more deeply how uh, it might have mattered to the people who would have heard it. So when we approach Sunday and we talk about this, and I've thought about, well, well, you know, how do you, you know, what is there to preach on this? I, I think that will be a lot of the direction that I go. But I didn't want to spend uh, twenty minutes trying to unfold what it meant to to avoid uh, the pitfalls of literalism and and sort of a hard nosed inerrancy. Um, so approach this Sunday with a sense of story, a, a, a sense of this is trying to tell a group of people something. And I wonder sometimes if we looked at um, violence in the Old Testament, if we looked at at, at um, sort of these what seem very broken parts of the text, if we looked at them through the eyes of of storytelling, um, what powerful stories could be there for us? Uh, What stories could be there for the people around us who, too, feel like they have been pushed away from their homes, that they are marginalized, that they're on the edges and waiting to hear how they, too, could be powerful? It might open us up a little bit um, to different ways of approaching our neighbor uh, who um, might be struggling today. In any case, this is uh, Pastor Adam, uh, Old Stone Presbyterian Church with the Midweek Deep Dive. You can always check out more on our Facebook page or uh, on www.oldstone.org. You can always check uh, previous sermons and previous weekly deep dives by looking on our podcast um, list. You can get it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might get podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. God bless and talk to you soon.